Jesus is worthy. When we speak of worth, sometimes we use that word as a noun. And when we speak of worth as a noun, we're talking about the level at which someone or something deserves to be valued or rated. As we use worth as an adjective, we use that word to describe something that we have determined from our perspective, our opinion of something that is, is worthy of worth. We are communicating that we believe that this is sufficiently good. It's important. It, it's interesting. It's someone or something that's to be treated or regarded in, in a specific way. To ascribe worth to something or someone is to say that it deserves to be valued. And so tonight I want to encourage you to think about this question. What is Jesus worth to you? Not what you think Jesus ought to be worth to you or not what you think Jesus is worth to your family member or your neighbor or the person that is sitting on the pew with you this evening. Tonight I want to encourage you to, to make specific personal application of the things that we're going to talk about together. Not to examine anyone else this evening except yourself. Examine yourself in light of the question, what is Jesus worth to you? And as you think about that question, as you sit with that question for just a, a, another moment, what is Jesus worth to you? I'm going to answer that question for you. And I want to suggest to you for your consideration tonight, and I want to suggest to you for, for what time is given to you in your life, that you come to terms with the truth of the answer to this question. What is Jesus worth to you? In a word, in a single word, He should be worth everything to you. In John chapter 1, verse 29, the forerunner of the Lord, as He has been preparing the way for the Lord, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, preaching repentance for the gospel of the, uh, uh, of the kingdom is at hand, He would say of Jesus of Nazareth, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What is Jesus worth to you? In a word, He ought to be worth everything, because only He can take away your sin. Remember tonight, we're not asking you to think about what is Jesus worth to, to someone else? What is He worth to you? And so as we think about all the lessons that we've been sharing in, in together, as, as, they, as they fit together, or if, you, or if you're just here tonight and listening to, to this lesson of, of the ones that we've been sharing together, in, in a word, He ought to be worth everything to you, because your greatest problem is sin. And, and no one else, save Jesus, can take away your sin. Behold, He is the Lamb of God who takes away your sin. And so once the gospel of Jesus Christ began to be preached in Acts, the second chapter, there's some really interesting events that, that, that take place on, on the day of Pentecost and, and in subsequent 
chapters in the book of Acts. And so we have this healing of a lame man in chapter 3. And Peter and John are called in to give account for, for what they had done. And they have this glorious opportunity in chapter 4 to explain themselves, but to, but to move away from that and to preach Jesus. And so here's what they say about Jesus in Acts chapter 4, verse, eight, verse 12. When it comes to the business of salvation, the point of these signs and wonders and miracles is always about the Word. It's always about the Word of God. It's always about the Word of Jesus. It's always about the Word that the Holy Spirit was guiding the, the, the people of God to, to, to reveal. And so Peter says, listen, this is what you need to know about Jesus. There is salvation in no other name, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Only Jesus. There is no one else who can do this. He is the exclusive, one-of-a-kind, unique, only way. He is the truth. He is the life. What is Jesus worth to you in a word? He ought to be worth everything. Philippians chapter 3. Let's begin reading in verse 7. A familiar text, but in the context of our question tonight, what is Jesus worth to you? I want you to consider with me tonight that these were not just words that the Spirit guided, He carried along the Apostle Paul to write that we might read and think, well, that was, that was really special how, how Paul felt about Jesus. No, this is how, this is how God, this is how Jesus, this is how the Holy Spirit would have you to feel about Jesus and me to feel about Jesus. And so filter your life, filter your experience through His. What things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count everything. I count everything, I count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, for whom I have suffered the loss of, of everything, and I count everything that I have lost so that I might have him as rubbish, as garbage. I count all of those things as rubbish that I may gain Christ and that I may be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead." Sometimes I think that we're all guilty of reading about the folks that we read about in the Bible and we, and we view them as being something that we are not, and that is wrong. The Holy Spirit tells us about Elijah, that he was a man just like us, and that's true of Saul of Tarsus. There's only one man that we read about in the Bible that is different. And his name is Emmanuel, God with us. 
The great I am who is from everlasting to everlasting, he became flesh and dwelt among us. And yes, he is uniquely one of a kind. He is the uniquely one of a kind, only begotten God, only begotten Son of God. But Saul of Tarsus, he was a man just like you and me. And so he says, says something to us in verse 12 that we need to hear. I, I haven't already attained. I, I, I haven't already been perfected. I press on, present tense. And I'll tell you why I press on, because I haven't already attained, I haven't already been perfected. But I press on that I may lay hold of that. Watch this in verse 12. I love that. I, I, I love this so much I can't even. Do you know what I know about myself? I know that. That I present tense fall short of God's glory. And I want to tell you something this evening. If you don't believe that about yourself, then you don't know God and you don't understand His glory. We present tense fall short of the glory of God because... When we talk about the glory of God, we're, we're talking about a concept about God that is very layered, just like propitiation, it's very layered. But at the end of the day, the word glory has to do with weight. And so you may fancy yourself a, a, a loving person, but when you compare how loving you are to how loving God is, when you weigh that out, you fall short of His glory when it comes to love. And then you can just fill in the blank with whatever characteristic that you think that you have that's puffing you up and making you proud and encouraging you to think more highly of yourself. When you compare that against God, you fall short of His glory. And I want to tell you, I know that about myself. And you know that about yourself too. It's so easy for me to compare myself to, to my brother or to my sister because it's so easy to see the, the little speck in their eye. It's much harder for me to see that, that great big beam, that log that's coming out of mine. But when I compare myself to others, I feel pretty good about myself. But when I compare myself with Jesus, I fall short of His glory. And so I know that I have not already attained. I know that I haven't already been perfected and and I do press, but I, I, I know that I fall short of His glory, and so I like this last expression. I lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. I want to tell you something about Jesus tonight that you need to know. You need to know in your heart. He's not ever going to let you go. He who has begun a good work in you, go back to chapter 1. He's going to complete it. If you're among the few tonight, but you find yourself among the many on the day of judgment, do you know why you're going to find yourself among the many? Because you weren't willing to allow Him to continue to hold on to you. You're going to be like that prodigal son in Luke 15, and you're going to have to say to him, I, I'm, ready, I'm ready to go on without you. As long as, as we're in, in Christ, we, we, we are in the, in, in the hand of our God and Father, and there is nothing that can snatch us out of His hand. I believe that with all of my heart. 
But that great truth was true of the prodigal too. And when the prodigal said to the father, let me go, his hand opened and off he went into the far country and he hit rock bottom. And it was the memory of the father that said, I'm going home. And he didn't have to knock on the door to get his father's attention to welcome him home. The father was, was waiting on the porch, longing for him to come. And so I love Philippians 3 verse 12 because it communicates that Jesus has laid hold of me. So here's the spirit we ought to have, brethren. I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, whatever the past is, beloved, it is gone. If there is sin that you need to repent of, repent of it. But don't get stuck in a moment. You know what the personal name of the true and living God is? It's a Hebrew word that literally means to be. The true and living God is not the I was. He is not the I will be. He is the God of the present tense. The I am. Forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And the glorious promise that if anything we think otherwise, God will reveal it to us. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. What is Saul of Tarsus, Paul the Apostle, and to the Gentiles? What is his conclusion about the question, what is Jesus worth to you in Philippians 3, 7 through 14? He is worth everything to me. And here is what he says as he elaborates on that. He says, I would give up everything to have him. And he says, I would give up everything to have him because his value and his worth is just beyond comprehension. And the Apostle Paul would tell us throughout his life in his writings that through the Holy Spirit that there's nothing besides Jesus that will matter when life is over. Just nothing. At the end of the day, an overused expression, at the end of life's little day, on the day of judgment, you will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and when your life is over, there is nothing besides Him that will matter. This is the only lesson that I ever preach in, in which I use a prop. This is the only object lesson that I ever preach where I, I, I use an object. I do not envy Ezekiel, for example. Bless his heart. Man, he had a, he had a job. What is this worth to you? What is this, what is this bottle of, of water worth to you? This, this, this particular bottle of water is, bottle of water is, is, is a great value. I'm, I'm not even sure. Is this Walmart? Does Walmart sell great value? I don't even know where I got this one. But I do know that when I was a, a, a college student, that I, I, I worked in the Dollar Tree while I was in college. And at the Dollar Tree, you used to could buy this for a dollar. And I made this illustration, I used this illustration back in March and someone came up to me in the forum and they said, Preacher, you, you misspoke. You, you can't buy a, a bottle of water at the Dollar Tree anymore for a dollar. And I wasn't quite sure that I believed them. So I went to the store the next day and they were right. It's like a dollar 25 now, I think. But this bottle of water, is it, is it worth a dollar to you? 
Would you, would you, would you give a dollar for this? What, what about $10? Would you pay $10 for this? You know, if, if I have the choice of, of purchasing this bottle of water at, at the Dollar Tree or, or, or at Walmart or at some other discounted store, I, I'm going to pay a dollar for this before I pay $10 for it, right? I might even walk across the street to pay a dollar instead of paying $10. What about $100? Would you, would, you, would you buy this same bottle of water that you could purchase for a dollar or for a dollar twenty-five or two nineteen or whatever it is? Would you pay $100 for this? What are you willing to pay for this? We moved to, to, to Northern Virginia. We're on the Northern Virginia side of, of Washington, D.C. eight years ago. And in eight years, I, I've been trying to get anybody to go with me to formerly known as the Washington Redskins. Then they were the Washington football team, and now they have settled on the Washington Commanders. And so growing up in Alabama, right, we didn't have professional football. I mean, nobody, we were all Braves fans growing up here, right? But I'm no, none of my friends were ever Falcons fans. I mean, in, growing up in Alabama, you're, you're a college football fan, right? And so I, I just want to go for the experience. I, I don't care about the Washington football team, and I don't particularly care about any of the other teams. There are players that I like on different teams that are spread out. But for eight years, I've been trying to get just anybody to go with me to a game over there, and I can't get anybody to go. And the reason why folks who have already been to a game over there don't want to go is the reason why I don't do a lot of the stuff that I don't do. I'm not at all interested in paying $15 for a bottle of water at FedEx Field to watch a football game that I don't care anything about. And before you ever get into the stadium for the opportunity to buy their $15 bottle of water, You've got to fight all this horrible traffic. The Washington football team is not even in Washington. It's in Maryland. Parking is incredibly expensive. Tickets to get into the stadium are very expensive. And so I found some online and I thought, I'm willing to do this. And if I have to go by myself, then so be it. I'm just going to go because I just want to experience it. I found an $8 ticket. And I was just about to hit purchase, and I noticed in the fine print it said, obstructed view. <laughs> so I pull up that option they give you now where you can see the view of your seat, and I kid you not, the seat was behind a pole. And you would either have to look around it to the right or look around it to the left to be able to see the game. That, my beloved brethren, is not something that I am willing to pay to do. It is not worth it to me to spend all of that money to go to that event where I know I'm going to get thirsty and then I'm going to have to pay Way more than this bottle of water is worth to me. But I want to tell you something. There are times in, in my life where I might have been willing to pay more than a dollar for this bottle of water. At the end of the day, it, when I ask the question, what is this worth to you and what are you willing to pay? Well, you and I both know the truth of this. It depends on where we are. And it depends on how thirsty we are. 
from the beginning, God has been revealing Himself to us. And from the beginning, He's been giving us good examples of what it looks like to regard Him as worthy. And He's given us bad examples of what it looks like to regard Him as, as common. And so Genesis 25, Genesis 25, Jacob cooked a stew. And Esau, his brother, came in from the field, and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, Please feed me with that same red stew, for I am weary. Therefore his name was called Edom. But Jacob said, Sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said to him, Look, I'm about to die. You ever felt that way? Have you ever been so hungry that you thought to yourself, If I don't get something to eat, I I'm just going to die. You know, I used to say that to my parents. And, it, and it, typically, it typically revolved around something that I wanted to eat, right? So where, where, where I grew up, we didn't have anything. We, we got a Hardee's, I think, when I was in the sixth grade. We got a McDonald's when, 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 when I was a senior in high school. And so it was a big deal to come from Winfield to Midfield to, to visit my grandparents. And if I behaved myself at my grandparents' house, then maybe, just maybe, on the way home, Dad would go through the drive-thru of McDonald's. I had no chance of getting McDonald's on the way to Grandma's house because it was on the other side of the road. But if I was really good on the way home, then we might go through the drive-thru. And I want to tell you, a happy meal for someone that didn't ever get happy meals, that was a happy meal. And so sometimes I would say, Dad, I'm so hungry. If I don't get something to eat, I'm just going to die. It's not just with food, right? Growing up, you think, if I don't get to go to this event, if I don't get to go to this party, if I don't get to go to this show, if I don't get to go to this concert, if I don't get to go to this ball game, if I don't get to go out on this date, if I don't get to go with my friends, then I'm just going to die. Look at me. I didn't die. And neither did you. And neither did Esau, and neither would Esau have died had he not sold his birthright. Jacob said, swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him, and he sold his birthright to Jacob, and Jacob gave Esau bread and Stew of lentils, then he ate and drank and arose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Turn with me to Hebrews, the 12th chapter. In Hebrews, the 12th chapter, the Holy Spirit encourages, encourages us in Christ as we have looked up into the heavens and as we have looked into God's Word, and now we are looking unto Jesus. Now that we're in Christ looking unto Jesus, okay, here's how we should live. Hebrews 12, 14. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Lest there be any fornicator. Verse 16, or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food... Sold his birthright. For you know that afterward 
when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he, he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. What was Esau's problem? At the end of the day, he, he ascribed the wrong value to food. He ascribed the wrong value to his fleshly desire. Jesus comes on the scene in John the sixth chapter. He feeds some folks, and just as quick as they have filled their bellies full of fish and bread, Jesus turns the tables on them and he says, let me tell y'all something. Y'all aren't out here to hear what I have to say. Y'all are out here to get your bellies full. Let me tell you something about the people of God in the past. They tried to live that way too. And this manna came down from heaven. And I want to tell you who I am. I am the bread of life. And all of your ancestors, they ate of that manna in the wilderness and they died. I am the true bread that has come down from heaven. If you, if you eat of me, then, then you will live forever. And there were some folks that heard that and they thought that that was hard teaching. And you know, you know what they did? They gathered up their little red wagons and they went home. They were a part of the few. But they joined the many because they too ascribed the wrong value to food. And when it came to the question, what is Jesus worth to you? Their answer was not everything. Man shall not live by bread alone, Jesus said, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I don't think that this lesson needs another slide. But if I was going to make another slide, this is the slide that I would make. And if you keep notes, take notes, this is a good, this is a good note to take. Number one, Jesus is worthy of my worship. And He's worthy of my worship because He's deity. Revelation 5.12, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. I am too afraid that sometimes we get to thinking more highly of ourselves, about ourselves, and about our understanding of God and His Word. And so we think that uh, if, if we had the opportunity to talk to Jesus, I'm afraid that too many of us might just take Him aside and, and explain to Him what He meant about something. <laughs> And I'll tell you what we ought to do if we ever have the opportunity to be in Jesus' presence. We ought to fall before Him prostrate and we ought to worship Him in spirit and in truth. There's nothing to say to Him except worthy is the Lamb. Jesus, number two, is worthy of my mind. He's worthy of my conviction. Listen to this. This, this, is, this is the Jesus that we believe in. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Jesus is worthy of my mind, of my conviction. Number three, Jesus is worthy of my heart. He's worthy of, of my trust. 2 Timothy 1.12, For I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. He is worthy of my heart and my trust. Number four, Jesus is worthy of my will. He is worthy of 
me conforming my will to His. And so if we're going to do that, we're going to have to repent of some things. And Jesus is worthy of my repentance. He is worthy of my obedience. He is worthy of my discipleship. He is worthy of my surrender. He is worthy to say to me and for me to respond to His words, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Jesus is worthy to say that to me. And number five, Jesus is worthy of my allegiance. He is worthy of my confession. Whoever confesses me before men, Jesus said, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. Jesus is worthy of my worship and my mind and my heart and my will and my allegiance. I want to turn your attention to one final verse of Scripture. Romans 6, verse 23. It's possible that I have quoted this, less, this, this verse in every lesson that we've shared in together this week. But I want you to turn to this verse in your Bible. I want you to look at it in your Bible. And I want you to consider it with me tonight to the best of your ability with fresh eyes. And I want to confess to you that there's something about this verse that's always bothered me that I, that I have thought about for a long time. So in Romans, the sixth chapter, in verse 23, we read, For the wages, and that, that's a word that has a meaning, and it just, it just literally means the hire that sin pays, right? You get a job, you earn wages. And so the wages, the hire that sin pays, is death. And again, that's something that we ought to have known from the beginning, depending upon your translation of the Bible and the size of the font. It's on page two of my Bible, right? The soul that sins, it shall die, Ezekiel 18. So the wages, the hire that sin pays is death, but the gift, the gift, in my beloved New King James Version, next to the word gift is the, is, is, is the numeral one. So I go to my center column, and it's right down here at the bottom so that I can't miss it. Next to that one, next to the word gift, are the words free gift. So you do a word study, and what you find is that Greek word. That's what it means. It literally means a free gift. It's, it's not just talking about a gift. It's talking about a free gift. So literally, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God, watch this. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And all my life I have struggled with this question. How can this be free? You ever thought about that? That's troubled me for a long time. And I'll tell you the origin of, of, of this lesson is that I, I, w I was in India in this, this little remote place and, and I didn't take any water with me. And I was thirsty. And we were all trying to come up with, with some money so that we could, could send one of our Indian brethren to, to get us some water because we just weren't prepared. And I got to thinking about what is this worth to me? And it depends on, on where I am and, and how thirsty I am. And, and when I thought through all this Jesus is worthy stuff, then I remembered Romans 6, 23. And I remembered this question that I've been struggling with for such a long time. How can this be free? And I don't know how you answer that question in your own heart. But I want to tell you that I have come to terms with it myself. 
And this is where I have landed on the question, how can this be free? How can eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, how can that be a free gift of God? I answer that question with a question. How can this be free? How can you put a value on it? What is eternal life worth to you? Is it worth a dollar? Is it worth $10? Is it worth $100? If God had placed a value on it, you know what that would do to it? It would diminish its value. It has to be free. Because how can you put a value on it? This is the conclusion of the whole matter tonight. We've been thinking about the question, what is Jesus worth to you? And here's the conclusion. Another question, what are you worth to Jesus? When you ask the question, what, what is Jesus worth to you? The answer ought to be everything. And I, I want to tell you what Jesus says to the question, what, what are you worth to him? And the answer is the same everything. It's been, it's been encouraging to me how the brothers have selected songs that went along with the lessons that we didn't talk about beforehand. When we think about the question, what are you worth to Jesus? If uh, Brother Huggins had, had chosen to lead out of the ivory palaces, it might, might have been a little bit unnerved by that if he had gotten that one, you know. But I think about that song, and that song is taken from Psalm 45. Who is this Jesus? He is the true and living God who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. And Psalm 45 tells us that this is what the Word who became flesh did. He left the ivory palaces. And so you know what that means, practically speaking? It means that He left the place that we long to be. He left heaven and He came here so that we might go from here to there. And what did that cost Him? He became he, he wasn't flesh and blood in eternity. He was, he was deity. He was spirit. God is spirit. And so what did the God who is spirit, who is the Word, do? He became flesh. And He entered the womb of Mary. And He entered the world the same way that you and I entered the world, through, through a woman. And He lived our lives in flesh and blood. And then He gave Himself, Galatians 1 verse 4, for our sins. What are you worth to Jesus? God demonstrates. God shows you. When you look at Christ and Him crucified, hear Jesus say to your question, what am I worth to you? Everything. Because He is giving everything for you in His person on the cross because of His great love for you. You are worth everything to Jesus. What is He worth to you? Hear the voice of Jesus say to you. Hear Him by faith. Hear Him say to you personally. Come to me. Believe in me. Know me. Know the power of my resurrection. You're worth everything to me. I just want to be worth everything to you. And when I come again, I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you that I meant it when I said you were worth everything to me. I'm going to deliver you to the, to the, to the Father. And thus we are always going to be together, gathered around God's glorious throne of grace. 
because before he even created us, we were worth everything to him. And he showed us in time. And when he comes again the second time, our salvation is going to be fully realized when we experience glorification and we get to spend all of eternity with the few thanking him for loving us that much. Thanking him for giving us the opportunity to understand it. And in some small way to communicate it back to him so that we could be with him forever and ever. If that's not your hope, won't you obey the gospel tonight while we stand together and sing to encourage you to come to Jesus, the invitation of Jesus, come to me while we sing.